Hey guys, welcome to episode 28 of the HBCU Audio Experience. This is a conversation I had with uh, renowned artist Melissa Mitchell, who's a FAMU grad and a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha. Um, We had a really good conversation ranging from HBCUs to marketing to um, artistry and a lot of different things. I really think you're going to appreciate this one and um, hope you enjoy Welcome to episode four of the HBCU Live series. We're talking to um, HBCU grads, people that uh, aspire to be HBCU grads and people that are currently in uh, in school at HBCU. So today we have a special guest, uh, Melissa Mitchell. Melissa Mitchell is kind of a big deal. I'll bring her in here. Let's see if we can bring her in here. Listen. Can you see me? It's a, it's a lot of feedback in the background. That's what I was trying to figure out. Okay, I gotta can't take really it back. You, there. you can't. Hold on. Okay. Back. Yeah, no problem. While you get it together, we'll remove it. Okay. Go ahead. Figure it out. So while Melissa gets everything together, uh, we'll start here. And um, Melissa is a pretty accomplishment school together. Um, and she has done a lot in the art world. She's a designer. She's worked with a lot of brands. So when um, she gets everything put up, she'll be able to tell you a little bit more about who she is and, um, and what she does. So we'll just wait on her to get everything together. But I think you're really going to love uh, this one. This one is a uh, is one you'll be able to get a lot of actionable things from this uh, uh, from this live. So, and we're looking for more people to be on our HBCU grad live. So, if you have any suggestions, uh, let us know. You can uh, DM us on Instagram, email us at hbcgrads at gmail. Uh, also, uh, text us text text HBCU to nine one zero nine six to join our text list. You get free access and early access to a lot of different things. So um, that's something that I would suggest you do as well. Are you ready, Melissa? She's still getting, she's switching up. She's switching laptop, so she'll be right on. She's in our lobby here. And if you're wondering what we use here, we use uh, StreamYard. And StreamYard is a really good platform. It's like, it's like Zoom on steroids. So, uh, yeah, StreamYard is a really good thing that we use. And I think uh, Melissa's ready. We'll see. All right. How does that sound? Mike is check that it. better? I think that's better. Is it? Okay. That's much better. Okay. That's much better. Yeah. I, I was just telling everybody about all your accolades and the brands that you've worked with. Can you start us off telling us some of the brands that you've worked with? Um, I mean, the list is pretty extensive, humble brag, but my favorite uh, brand to date is Spanx. Um, and it's funny that I have the painting behind me that ended up landing me the global distribution deal with Spanx. Um, I have my own underwear and bra by Spanx that's being sold all over the world. Um, but I've worked with uh, Ford, Nike, Pepsi, um, currently working on some things with Home Depot. 
Um, anything that you can look, think of in Atlanta, I probably have had my hands in. So it's been a it's been a blessing to just see my artwork, not just on canvas. Okay, but tell us some of the other magazines you've been. I want to hear everything. If you're top. 40 under 40 if you've been in black enterprise i want to hear well, it all. yeah well black enterprise uh they they covered my story with spanks um i always love to tell a story about how i first started doing wearable head wraps and how it landed me in vogue magazine um i started back in 2016 wanting to get my art on some sort of textile i said i really need to figure out how to get this on my head because my hair is a mess at all these events and so after I developed my own head wrap line, I said, my dream person to wear a head wrap would be Lupita Nyong'o. And so I woke up one night and um, blindly uh, messaged her stylist. And he said, I actually like everything that you're about. Yeah, go ahead and mail me those old head wraps to London. I was like, wait a minute, I can mail you some head wraps. And um, I thought nothing of it because nothing happened for about six months. And then me and my girlfriend went to, uh, to dinner one night and she said, Mel, have you been on Vogue's uh, website? I was like, why would I be on Vogue's website? She's like, well, because Lupita is in your head wrap in Vogue. And I like fell out. I could not believe it. And so um, from that moment on, I became the head wrap girl. And so Lupita apparently travels with my head wraps, loves them so much, um, really enjoys everything they represent. And so just having my art um, in publication, I mean, Essence, it's not an Essence magazine that I haven't been in in the past six months. I've been in one like every other month. And just having these partnerships and being able to have a platform for brown girls with paintbrushes is a pretty awesome opportunity. Right. Now, when you say you messaged Lupita's people, how did you message them? Did you email them? I did. did them. I did. Okay. I did. Okay. Is, is that your preferred way of uh, communicating? Um, hold on. This light is on my eyes. Um, no, it's not. So don't DM me. But um, I do think it's pretty dope. Um, that especially right now during the pandemic is that so many people are on their phones and so many people are easily attainable. Um, if you just have the guts to have the right things to say in, you know, in a few words, a few words as possible. Um, but when I can't find their email, I say, you know what, I'll just try to DM and we'll see what happens. What's the worst they could do? Ignore your message. Mm -hmm. you know? So I've always just kind of had that, those kind of guts to just reach out to who I want to talk to. Right. Okay. Well, we started from the end. We're going to go back. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, getting a message to millions, what would it say? Goodness. Um, on my email tagline, I, many, many years ago, before I even became the master manifester, I put, um, if you want a different life, be prepared to do life differently. And with right. that, it's just encouraging people to say, you keep saying you want this, you want that, you want this, but you're doing the same thing every single day with no change. And I think a lot of people need to understand that greatness is very uncomfortable. Um, mm -hmm. Greatness requires you to really change who you are, um, not fundamentally, but just your everyday uh, routine has to change. Like today, um, I still work a full-time job in IT for the government. Um, then I got a call to hop on a uh, a brainstorming session for this huge fashion retreat in, in you know in New York. Then I get a call from another client to say, "Hey, we love your book. Can you create one by Friday to fit our company?" And so if I was just the regular old Melissa, I'd be like, "Oh, this is just too much. I'm going to get into bed." But because I'm Melissa, the master manifester now, I have to say, you know what? I'll need to make adjustments. I need to order my food in. I need to make sure I eat. I need to change some things around. But when I made that declaration that I wanted things to be different, 
I had to really be bold about it. And I had to be be open to the way things were going to be. It wasn't going to be as congruent as I was used to. Um, I think people every day need to know that the life that you're praying for is going to cost you the life that you have right now. I like that. I like that. Now, let's let's go back and tell me who Melissa Mitchell was as a 13 year old girl. Oh, Lord. Um, Melissa Mitchell was the oldest of three daughters, which she still is. Um, I had a one year old little sister at the time. I was in middle school um, and you would never believe it, but I was in drama. I was a drama Mm. student. Um, mm. I was singing in a band. Um, I was in middle school. So, you know, I was in that exploratory stage. Like, you know, that's when I first started wearing my bra. That's when, you know, you get your cycle, you become a woman and just learning who I am as a friend. Um, but I think I knew even back then that I wasn't meant to just be the girl to go to class and go home. And then that's it. Right. I stayed after school till about six o'clock. I was involved in everything there. Um, I went on to be the first class president. Um, I think the Melissa at 13 years old, um, didn't really get why there was nobody like her. There was nobody, you know, wearing all these colors, you know, nobody wanted to cut up t-shirts and wear them as hats at the time. I didn't know they were called head wraps. I call them hats. Um, And so all along I was evolving into the Melissa Mitchell 20 plus years later um, to be who I am now. So I think it's, I've always been who I was, but now I'm more bold and more uh, standing in that power. So it's great. Now who introduced you to color? Was it your mom? Um, no, I think it probably was my dad. My dad was a designer himself. Um, designer. He was he was like the 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 just the consummate just creative. I mean, he always. I mean, we were at restaurants. He'd be drawing portraits with a pen and like coloring it with like ketchup and mustard. Like he was that kind of like artistic weirdo, as I like to call it. But um, we would go to homecoming. He also was a family graduate. He would have on orange gators. You know a green leather jacket, you know, so I didn't know anything but being loud. My mom was like, y'all just do y'all. I'm going to do me. And so um, my dad was definitely the uh, the proponent of me being outside of the box colorfully. Okay. So if we talk to people that were in your, say, eighth grade class mm. as a 13 year old, what would they, what would they say about you? Would they say you were talkative, quiet? We knew she was going to be special. What would they say? All of the above. Uh, Melissa was not the quiet one in class. Um, Melissa would always have her work done early. It would distract half the class there. Um, Melissa would always find an excuse to leave early. Um, Melissa's dad was very involved. If anything happened, my teacher, my parents would be there. I don't care what was going on. They would show up to school. Um, Melissa was very outspoken. Um, if there was a grievance that the other students felt, I was like, well, I'm going to go tell her. I'm going to go up there and talk to her. You know, they're like, here come Melissa. Tell Melissa to tell Miss Rob Miss Rogers that I was like, oh, I do it, I do it. So Miss Rogers, I feel like you know, da, 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 and they'd be like, okay, you know, have a seat, Miss Mitchell. Let's get the class back, you know. So I wouldn't mind like being a person to get thrown out of class, go to the principal's office because I ended up creating relationships with all the leadership. So no matter where they put me, I was gonna find a friend. Mm-hmm. You say you were student council president. What does being involved at it such a young age? Uh, do and help for help you as you one matriculate through school and two as you become a leader in the real world i think being in leadership early really taught you to be responsible and also how to relay the needs of others to it's almost like you're learning how to be the middleman for somebody higher up so even um when i ended up majoring in public relations i understood hey this group of people need this messaging but this is the way they respond so let me learn how to talk to them this kind of way 
So I really learned how to communicate effectively. I think above all, leadership is really about communication, whether it's getting information to a group or away from a group. Um, and I think that's why I did so well at FAMU because I was in leadership. So, and I was the oldest child and my, fa my family was full of pastors and in church. So I was mm -hmm. always someone with a mic in my hand, learning how to talk with my hands, you know, very expressive, but just really understanding that um, I had a lot on my shoulders. So when it was time for me to manifest all I was supposed to do, I knew that there were so many people counting on me because I was thought to be a leader. Right. I was reading something or I listened to something the other day. I think it may have been from Tim Ferriss. And he mm -hmm. was talking about putting two skills together that aren't normally together. Mm -hmm. So you being an artist and then you being able to publicly speak and being able to communicate. Yes. That's not that's not normal for artists. No, it's and not. when you start to put two skills that can complement each other, yeah. you can really kind of propel, you know, your, you know, your career and anything you're doing. So that makes a lot of sense. So let's fast forward a little bit, high school, regular high school. And then um, you chose FAMU. Why did you chose FAMU? Um, a, a, a plethora of reasons. I have not missed a homecoming probably since I was about six years old or seven. Mm -hmm. So that's 30 years in the game. Um, so, mm -hmm. I saw FAMU as a as a natural next step. My father went there. Um, my great uncles went there. One of the first drum um, set of drum majors. My dad was the first DJ on the radio. Um, my mother went to University of Miami, but she said the love she felt from coming to FAMU's campus, she wanted her daughters to experience that. So they made sure growing up, we knew what HBCU life was about. So if it wasn't FAMU, it was going to be somebody's HBCU, but it was a natural it was a natural uh, inclination for me to lean towards Florida and um, fell in love with the campus, fell in love with the, the, the university as a whole, the history of it. Um, the campus really, really fell in love with me. Um, and it was just one of those things where I knew this is where I belonged. When I got there, um, I actually went to a summer program, my 11th grade going to my 12th grade year. And I was like, y'all just leave me here. I only have to do my senior year. I'm staying at FAMU. You couldn't tell me I wasn't already a student and um, I met some of my best friends and my life, my life partners at FAMU. So I just can't imagine not having a FAMU experience. Like I just, I mean, Howard may be cool, you know, NC State, all these other schools are cool, you know, but FAMU itself um, is a life changing. I, it was a life changing experience for me. What is it about FAMU that makes us like a FAMU and that type of culture? What is it? What is it? Like we're very prideful of, of the other HBCUs I've seen. North Carolina Ante has a lot of pride. Howard Spelman Morehouse. But yeah. what is it about FAM that makes us so loud and boisterous? And then we have something to back it up. I don't know. I mean, I guess because I don't really have it really anything to go up against, but it's just, it's one of those unexplainable like affiliations. Like you just know, it's almost when you fall in love, it's like, I just, I just know, I just know. Um, I can meet somebody from FAMU and immediately find something to come like, you need help? Like what you good? Like I'd be a lot of the soul. Like, oh girl, come get in front of me. She went to FAM. Like I've been in traffic and I was like this, oh, she went to FAM. I let her over. Like, it's just one of those things where um, you just you just have this like affinity towards one another um, on campus. It's a family atmosphere. Um, there's nothing we can't ask a rattler for. You know, we, of course, we have our human disconnects, um, but it's just uh, overall on the surface. I mean, being a fam, you and it, it's just something that everybody can't share. So when you find somebody that has that that liking relationship, you're like, oh, she went to fam. She cool with me. Like, let help her out. Whatever she need help with. It's right. an automatic love that you can't really explain. Right. Now tell me about your time on the hill. 
uh, walk me through freshman year all the way to graduation. Oh what did you study? Did you join any organizations? I may have joined an organization or two. Um, when I got to FAMU, I was in, nobody really knows this, I was an agribusiness major. Mm. I was going to study viticulture, um, study like the process of like creating wine. I wanted to be like a black wine owner, all these different things. Mm. But my first class was actually being in the viticulture, like being outside. I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I had on some brand new BCBG shoes and I was like, yeah, this major is not going to work for me. <laughs> and so... Um, I went that day and talked to my advisor. I said, hey, I need something that's going to allow me to talk like I want to talk, you know, travel, be around famous folks. And she said, you might need to think about PR. I was like, what's that? You know, and all this time I was a PR person, but didn't know, didn't have a name for it. So even going to an HBCU, it's just different when you run into leadership. They like care about you, like beyond those four years. Like, baby, when you get your husband, baby, when you retire. Baby, when you have your children, it's not like, okay, get out of my office. Next, It's like a you create a relationship. Even today, one of my professors was like, all right, you're selling these masks. You know what I, you know, we've been through 10 years ago, 20 years ago. You need to take care of me. I took care of you. I'm like, okay. So it's, right. it's a relationship. So year one, once I changed my major, like, and put my mind on something, like my, my college career just went like through the roof. From that point on, I became a presidential ambassador. Mm. I was a historian, so I traveled with the mm. uh, university to recruit. Mm. Uh, Lord, what did I do sophomore year? I ran for sophomore attendant, lost by like five votes. Devastated mm -hmm. at first, but being the PR student that I was, um, I really learned that the skill sets, again, that I picked up from the campaigning and all those different things um, really taught me a lot about myself. Um, and that was the way before the social media and all of this affirmation online. It taught me that I was a queen either way, with, with crown or not. And so that really humbled me to let me just really understand, you know, what life was about. Um, travel with the university. I mean, I was in so many National Council of Negro Women, Sisters, NAACP. Um, my first time voting was uh, we marched to the, on the Hill to vote together. Um, I was on numerous campaigns, um, you know, real elections and campaign, um, you know, campus elections. And then I joined Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, of course, the Beta Alpha chapter. Um, so that was an experience in itself. I served on the Royal Court as the Royal Court Advisor. So I traveled the, um, the king and queen um, around the country to recruit and just kept them in line. So goodness, I'm like, all these memories are flooding back. But uh, being mm -hmm. on the campus was like, it was it. We didn't realize we were in it until we were out of it. I was like, we really right. were like the American dream. Like, it was mm -hmm. incredible. Like, I get so excited and like we still like I was reminiscing on my birthday last week about things we did in college 20 years ago. I was like, we still talk about this. They're like, dog, I remember the time you did this. I remember what you had on. I mean, we went out. And so the memories are like they like are part of our fiber. You know, yeah. um, we can always go back to them and just keep it as a part of our experience. Right now. What was your life like the first two years after college? You see, Renita Bryant said you're wise to have went to FAMU. Oh, hey, Renita. <laughs> Goodness, my first two years after school. Um, so I, I graduated in 2004. I'm going to tell you all my age because y'all can do some math. I graduated 2004 with my bachelor's, but I wasn't ready to stop my experience. I wanted some more. So I got my master's uh, at FAMU in public management. And so the thing about FAMU is that you're living in a utopian society, right? It's like, oh, you know, black power, black this, black that. And you get out of school, you're like, wait a minute, everybody not like this? You know, the world's not like this. And so when I stepped out of that, when it's time to find a job, 
I didn't find that 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 job that I was looking for. Um, that was right around the recession was about to hit. Um, things happened. I was supposed to work with Royal Caribbean Cruise Line, mm-hmm. and then you had all these storms that were coming. You know, not all these different things were happening, and so my life did not go the way I wanted it to go. But it was going the way it was supposed to go. So graduated, um, ended up working in a nonprofit. My dad met somebody at breakfast and said, "Give my daughter a job," and that's mm-hmm. how I got my first job out of college. Um, right. Ended up being spectacular at that organization. Wrote a grant. We um, I moved to Atlanta. I came to look for a house, and then my family was like, well, "Why don't we buy like a compound and all y'all live with us, and we 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 come down here together?" And so that story is interesting because the entire time my dad was saying, "You know, you need to be here with your mama. Make sure your mama's okay." I'm like, "Okay, you know, we're gonna be here, mama's side with all of us." He said, "No, just make sure your mama's good." And so um, shortly after that, in 2010, my father passes away. And so I was about to buy a house that year and I ended up saying, no, let me just not do that. And so ended up being at home with my mom, my dad passes away. And so that's when life kind of became a little dark for me. Um, Just after college, I was like, this is not what they told us in school. Like we supposed to get a job, get a husband, have 2.5 kids, get that white picket fence, work for the company. And my college experience after that was like, okay, school loans are looming. You know, I'm living at home with my mama. Things are not going well. And it just wasn't it just wasn't as colorful and as, as wonderful as I wanted it to be. But I had to literally pick up myself um, to decide that this couldn't be life. And that's what I did. How did how did you get past your father's passing? Because I know a lot of people deal with a parent that passes. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you can kind of walk them through what you initially went through, you know, how it's motivated you and how it affects you still to this day. Um, without getting too emotional. Um, and I keep a picture with him behind me and every, he's back there on, on a on, um, frame. But I think for me, it was, it was like anger. It was shock, betrayal, um, you know, resentment. Like, well, how could you leave us? And how could you do this? And then after all of those cycles passed, it was like, okay, this is our new normal. I'm ready to be a millionaire. Let's do it. And so my dad was a very, very creative uh, genius when it came to colors and, you know, marketing and design. I said, okay, God, if if you had that in him and I'm a little piece of that, can you amplify this in me so I can be that as well? And so I was praying literally every day for like three years after he passed. So I started a t-shirt company. I started an um, online uh, consignment boutique. Me and my, one of my girlfriends, we started, so we would call it Refashion Me. Her name was Rita. I'm Melissa, so Refashion Me. So we would get clothes from the consignment shops and um, either sew them, add like a flower to it, and we would refashion it, and we would sell it online for Etsy for like a really good price. So I sold stuff in, a, in, a, in an online boutique, and then I started selling these earrings out of wood. And I was like, you know, what would my daddy do? So I started doing photo shoots, my own stuff. I was like, well, I can't find no models. So I'm a model. And so start doing that. Somebody notices me. Then I, they were like, well, we can sell them in a the store. I was like, oh, you know, dad would be proud. And so the entire time I'm creating and just kind of generating these ideas, I'm thinking, what would daddy do? You know, what would dad do? So I went from, you know, grieving him to now seeking his wisdom beyond, you know, the earthly realm. And so I'll never forget the night I picked up the brush, 2014, during the snowstorm. And I was like, Lord, you know, this, all this is cute, but I need some money. And so I just started doodling randomly on paper, just randomly doodling. And then I started coloring it in. Um, and then I put it on um, Instagram, like, oh, look what I'm doing. I'm an artist. Hey, y'all. They were like, and I got a DM, so I paid $25. But I was like, 
a sheet of paper, $25. I do this like 10 times. I could pay with a car note. I could do this. So I started like doing the numbers. I was like, oh, the hustler is up. So I said, what would my dad do? So I woke up the next morning, saved MPL Creations on um, the internet as like I, I copyrighted it. I did all of that stuff first. Then I, I created my own. I taught myself how to how to do websites. Mm-hmm. I did all of that online. And so I went through all my dad's notes and kind of figured out how he did things. And I became an entrepreneur like in like a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went from grieving him to seeking him um just spiritually, instead of being, you know, instead of resenting him not being there, valuing the time that I did have with him um, and just in weighing, in weighing the pros with the cons. You know, I, there are way more pros and cons when, when a parent passes away. So I think you have to just transition from that grief to figure out how you can really, and I don't want to say monetize because it's not all about money, but there is profit in your pain somewhere. Mm. It may not be monetary. It might be, you know, you might be able to help like me. I'm helping other people get through that, but I'm also making money. So there is a transition or a point in your life where there there will be a shift and you really, really have to be ready for that. Um, but you just got to wake up one day and say, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to make the best of this. And then that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to skip that early part. I'm going to come back to you starting to pick up the paint, bro. And I'm going to go to what's the first brand you worked with and how did you land that deal? Um. So I want to say the first big, big brand <clears throat> I worked with was Essence Magazine. And so this was like 2000, I want to say 17, 2017, I took all of my savings. I created like 50 art pieces, got a whole bunch of head wraps made. And I said, I'm going to Essence Festival. I'm going to sell some head wraps, you know, mm-hmm. I ain't had no table. I ain't had no vendor license. None of that. I just said, I'm going to Essence Festival, right? So I get down there and I'm like, what, what am I selling at? Like, I, I got them in my purse. You know, I, I got a little table over, you know, I'm going to go over here. Nobody buys anything except for this one lady in the lobby. I paid, she, I was charging like $15, $20 for head wraps at the time. I was like, you want to buy a head wrap? I was like, should I give it to you, you know? So I give her the head wrap. I'm like, cool. But I look at my bag. I got everything I came with from to Essence Festival. But the whole time I'm on Instagram talking about my experience, right? And so we drive back to Atlanta. You know, I'm super sad. I'm crying. I'm like, it was a waste of time. This art thing is not going to work out. I'm tired of it. And so my mom was like, you know, you just got to trust God. She was like, if God gave you this, he'll make a way. And so maybe two weeks later, I get a DM from a guy saying, hey, there's an art show coming to Atlanta. And they're looking for female artists. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm like, who? And he said, oh, by the way, it's Essence Magazine. I was like, oh, Essence interesting you say that and so long story short whoever was in that group was watching me the entire time i was chronicling my at essence festival so me talking about hey you know i got my head wraps you know trust in god glory to god you know i'm just i'm really i'm like low-key crying on camera i'm like you know i'm still here i'm still shining still got my head wrap on you know i'm smiling but the whole time I'm like i ain't sold nothing i'm wasting my money i'm falling apart and so they invite me to um, something called My City Four Ways here in Atlanta. That's the first time I work with them. And so the whole time the camera is like, Melissa, Melissa, you know, the whole time I'm taking pictures. And so I'm just like, I'm just happy to be there. Not only did they pay for me to be there, they paid for my product. I produced a special head wrap for the event, created a relationship with Ford Motor Company, 
And in that meeting, I said, you know, one day y'all gonna give me a Ford. He was like, okay, sweetie, we don't give out cars. Okay. I was like, you don't know who you're talking to. I may not have manifested a lot of stuff, but I'm gonna manifest the cars. So we laughed and joked. Um, he said, okay, baby, you know, we'll talk to you later. So fast forward to December, 2017, I was saying, you know, God, you told me I was gonna be in Essence Magazine. You know, I'm like, whatever. So I get a DM from my friends. She was like, Melissa, you need to check on page 92. You know what nine plus two is. She said, check page 92 um, and like block number four. I'm in Essence Magazine smiling at that event um, with Ford, Ford Motor Company and Essence Magazine. So it went from not selling anything at all not knowing how I was going to make all this money back. I don't spent my savings to come to Essence Festival to making all of that money plus more and then creating a relationship with another billion dollar brand. And, and many don't know that I ended up winning a car the very next year with Ford Motor Company. That's amazing. That's, yeah. that's amazing. When are you most creative? Morning, night, while traveling, during quarantine? When are you most creative? Um, my creativity comes in waves. Um, I am driven by the dollar. So if somebody puts some money in my account for a project, I'm gonna move real quick. But really, it's just I just move out of spirit. I don't like to I don't like to create when I'm not in the mood. And I think a lot of people that's why a lot of artists end up starving because they create work that's not from the heart. Um, and it's not really about money. For me, I just say that I'm healing out loud with my paintbrush. Um, because it's the cheapest form of therapy. Um, and so yeah. for me, I just create when I feel it. Um, yeah. I'm probably going to paint when I get off here because I'm just feeling really, really inspired about this new project I just got in my lap today. Um, so yeah, I just think you, you, I create when I'm inspired, not really by any time frame. Of course, it's at night most times because I like when, um, I just like the glow that the house gets with like candles and incense mm. and all of that. Like I have some lit right, right now. Um, okay. Yes. okay. So I want to talk about manifesting a little bit. Oh, you're, you're a master manifester. A little bit. I think from what I can tell from the outside looking in that you're a master action person. Yes. Like you, yes. you do stuff outside of goal setting and dreaming. What's the single thing that people don't do when they're pursuing their dreams? Because you see a lot of people say, hey, I'm going to be a professional basketball player and then you know they haven't hooped in two or three days or i'm going to be a millionaire and they haven't you know they don't do the things that they need to do what's a single thing that you see that people don't do from that manifesting because goal setting and saying is important but where where's the disconnect from there to really uh, achieving their dream it's consistency it's mm -hmm. consistent it's consistent yeah. relentless pursuit every single day right. um, i think people it's almost like wishing upon a star that, you know, because like right now I'm in gardening, right? Gardening. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I had plants planted for a month and saw nothing. In the last two weeks, they finally blossomed. But if I did not continue to water them, if I didn't continue to go out there and sing to them and talk to them and just still be like, I may not see it yet, but I'm going to still be out here. Well, like when I get off of the call now, I'm going to put some water on my roses. But it's like the consistency. I see a lot of people. After two days, we don't get a call from Coke. They're like, oh, Coke holding the call me. I'm giving up. It's like, bro, people take 50 years to get to some stuff, you know? So you right. can't just give up. Your time yeah. frame might be shorter or longer, whatever it looks like, but you have to trust your story. And I think a lot of times, especially with social media, I'm like, dang, Todd did that already in three years? Like, that's crazy. I've been doing this for 30 years. So I, I know a lot of artists that look at me and say, wow, you know, why her? Why now? Mm -hmm. This is just my story. You know, right. consistently pursue what I ask God for. So it looks different for some people. And then I get online and see somebody with 
to me with no talent and they all good morning america mm. you know so it's really about consistently pursuing what's on your path because that's where the magic is it's in your own path it's not it's not in looking to the left and to the right and comparing um when people think about the basquiat's and all these different artists and saying you know Basquiat also died very, very early. So do you want that kind of art and you have to die for it to be famous? Right. You know, I want to I want to live in my now. I want all my billions right now. So if that right. means I have to slow, slowly gain my momentum to that, then I definitely want to be slow with it. But definitely not resenting the process There's a lot of people resent the process and then they end up missing the lessons and the blessings that were laid for them on that path because they're so busy trying to wish and hope for something else. Right. Right. How do you look at doing free work, especially early in your career? Do you think that's the unlock? Because I truly believe that's like that's the really the thing that you need to do. Get as close to the top notch person that you want to be, who you want to turn into and do free work. And the things that you pick up on the side just from being around people is, uh, you know, is immense. So how do you look at free work? Do you you know nothing in life is free? Right. And Mm -hmm. so for me somebody's time is worth more than anything. So I've mm-hmm. given away $10,000 pieces of artwork because I, I admired the person. Um, mm-hmm. I remember visiting, you know, Spank's headquarters and I was like, oh, you know, I'm gonna give y'all some art. They said, no, we're gonna pay you for this. And so because my intentions were pure, God still gave me that what I asked for plus more. So it's like, right. sometimes God just wants to see your heart and say, okay, I could, I could trust Todd with be around billionaires and not be too, you know, starstruck. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think the biggest thing for me um, is that don't ever look at anything for free. You're you're still making an investment. So even if that person isn't the one that give you that return, so to speak, that seed was sown. Like the seed I sowed by sending Lupita at that time, you know, every rap I had was so precious because that was my money. But that seed sold ended had me end up in Vogue magazine, which also gave me the cloud I needed for all these other partnerships. So that fifty to hundred dollar investment that was free ended up getting, giving me inv- like I couldn't even put a number on a, a, a numerical number, a numerical value on what that was able to do for me. So I look at the things I donated, like to the the Breast Cancer Society, and then now I end up getting all these different um, all these different clients that are so grateful to be a be a part of my work to have it in the building. So it's like wow, I gave that away, but now I'm giving life to people, you know, through my work. Right, right. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about this book that you uh, that you wrote and released last week. But I'll first tell me about your first book that you ever wrote. Um. So my first book um, was a compilation of quotes. So go back to my. What, dad. what year was this? Give me a little reference. Last year. First book was last year. Was 2018? What was last year? 2000? No, 2018. Lord, it's been two years. Okay. Okay. 2018. So ever since I was little, I was so drawn to quotes. And then Mm -hmm. I started saying, I wonder if I could just do my own quote. So I would just like write like the star, you know, stars in the sky, remind me of your love, Dash and Mitchell, right? Like I always Mm -hmm. make my own little quotes up. I've been doing that since I was younger. And so when Facebook came about, you remember it says, uh, what is Melissa thinking? Or like, remember back in the day, it had like a prompt, like, what are you thinking? And so I would put up little quotes every single day. So by the end of every year, I had 500 to 1,000 quotes. I was like, this need to be a book, you know? And so one of the things my dad told me before he passed away, he said, um, 
you need to look at whatever you're doing online and monetize that. I was like, monetize like that. I'm not a businesswoman. You know, I, I want to be married, have kids. I'm not doing all that. Cause in my mind, it's like, I just want to be a wife and be a mama. And that's it in my mind. Mm-hmm. And that was 20 something. Cause clearly it ain't my, my model now. Um, and so all of that was in the back of my head. And so I was like, I need to write a book because everybody keeps saying, man, that quote was good. Like, can you email it to me? Can I, would you mind if I just like print it out and put it on my wall? I was like, I need to make a book. And so called up my, my good old mind matters. She's a rattler too. One of my publishers, I ran into her at an event and she's like, did you write your book? I was like, who sent you? Who told you to tell me that? So I talked to her about the book and she, um, she says, just get me all your information. I have a designer on, on staff. I have a person that could do this. I sent her all of my quotes and she turned it into in a book, turned it into a book within a week. And wow. so I released that at the top of 2018 bestseller. sold hundreds of copies. Um, mm. and it's a table book com- um, combined with my artwork and my quotes. Mm. So it's called nice. Scope. Right. Now walk me through that. How do you publish a book and what does that business relationship look like? It's such an incredible process because it goes from scribbling on a notepad to typing something up to having an idea and working with a publisher that really respects your point of view or also steers you in the right direction and say, hey, let's just think about this. Or they'll look at what you wrote and say, let's try to switch this around a little bit. So it's really it's almost like I always call us. Um, I always say that it's a literary doula. Mm-hmm. Somebody that helps you give birth to something that's in your head, but makes it make sense for print. And so uh, the next book that I wrote, which is just this past April 14th, I'll never forget it. I was on the phone with my boo and I told him that I would call him back because I was going to write a book. And he was like, OK. And so I cut everything off and I really got still meditated, talked to the Lord and wrote a book that night. And so the next morning I called up Renita again and say, hey, I wrote another book. She's like, OK, girl. I was like, no, I wrote it. Like, I'm about to email it to you. She's like, oh, shoot, we, we, we rolling. End of the week, mm-hmm. we had a full draft together. I had a young lady to design it. And I used all women of color um, to design the book and mm-hmm. to publish it. And we had a book ready by May 11th. And it sold out in um, about two hours. Now, how does that look? Do you go to the publisher and say, hey, I have $500. Do they take a percentage of the sales on the back end? Walk me through that. No. So um, it depends on your, your your publishing deal. So with me, I'm I'm pretty much a self-publisher. So everything's, you know, it's under my matters publishing, but it's it all Melissa Mitchell property. Right. And so what they do is they set it, set it up however you need to set it up. But for me, um, I own everything. I push it myself. Um, I have it hosted now on Amazon and um, it's soon to be Barnes and Noble. Um, and so they come up with the pricing, whether it's you have them editing, whether you have them um, helping you with the design work, they're laying it out, whatever it is you need. It's, a, it's like a price point for each thing. So if you just show up with a piece of paper, you might have to pay them to type it all up. So it just depends on where you are in your process. But finding the right publishing house um, can really impact how well you do. Because you really need somebody that's going to be in tune with you as a writer um, and really, really wants to see you win as an entrepreneur. Because that's two different things. You're entrepreneurially driven and you're also a writer. Because some writers just don't care about the money, but you do need to have a person that cares about if you're going to make this money or not. Right. Right. That makes sense. Now, you have a text list that gives first access to subscribers. How effective is that versus you? social media, email, and the other it? marketing channels that you use? Think about it. I have my phone in my hand probably 
nine times out, you know, nine times out of 10, I'm either with my phone, not far away from my phone. And so my other really good friend, um, let me know about this opportunity of something of, it's like a text community. And so if you think about how often we have our phones in our hand, because even though I have my phone in my hand, I don't ever check my email. I'm one of those people that if I see one notification, clear all, read all, get it out, my, get it out of the way. Then I'm like, oh, shoot, I got an email from Todd. What, what, do you, you know, what did he say? But if you text me and it has a link to go directly with some action, mm-hmm. I'm about automatically. So I have a new business. I had to pivot from doing wearable art to wearing wearable masks. And so this is like my prototype baby. That's going to end up in a museum somewhere. So I posted a selfie in this. and was like, oh, I'm making masks. People are like, oh, my God, I want one. I was like, okay. So this before the text list. I was like, what's taking so long? So I sold out in about 10 minutes, whatever. When I signed up for that text list, the next week, I sold out in one minute and five, like 1.5 minutes. Like How many sales, how many sales was that in one, in one minute? That was like 400 masks. Like something crazy like that, like four five hundred masks in like a minute. Ooh. You do the math with twenty five thousand wow. pieces, <laughs> right? right? That was only the second batch. I'm mm-hmm. on my sixth batch. Wow. So I'm like, and so for thirty dollars a month, I pay y'all a little text message money if mm-hmm. I can make that in a minute. And so I think people need to understand that developing a relationship with your consumers. Um, they want to be in the know. Um, and I'm probably going to pivot to a more exclusive list on top of this list mm. to be like in the no, no, um, like a paid group, but people want to be able to say, I had that first and nobody else has it. And mm-hmm. I think the text message community allows people to have that very immediate access. So, but by the time I can even post a selfie, it's already sold out and people right. are mad with me. I was like, y'all, if y'all would just get on this text list. So my my membership last week went from like four or five hundred. Now I'm at almost eight hundred this week. Wow, wow, that's amazing. So quarantine has been good to you. Quarantine has been a blessing. It's okay, blessing. okay. It's, it's a tough thing to talk about because you know people are going through some really tough stuff, but it's a lot of good things happening as well. You know, I think it's and 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 I was one of those people that was you know bemoaning being at home, being with the nerve of God to make me be with my family. The nerve of God to make me have my full time job to be able to work from home. And I think once I I shifted my perspective, you know, the right person came into my life, the right people came into my life. um, And I got genius business ideas. Within a week of me changing my perspective, I wrote a book within a week. Right. You know, so it's really all about why am I home? Because they started talking about opening things back up. I'm like, y'all, we about to lose this precious alone time. You're going to have three months out of this year that you have not had anything to account for, which is okay, Mm -hmm. but don't let this time go to waste. You know what I mean? And so, Mm -hmm. hey, Charmanita. But, you know, for Mm -hmm. me, I think the most important thing about quarantine is that I didn't want this time in history of my life to be just another dash. Like, oh, you know, from Mm -hmm. March to June, I did. I just chilled. Like, yeah, I could get some ass, but I could also almost get a million. You know, and for mm-hmm. me, that's more important because if this is my, you know, if something ever happened to me, they can say, but she killed it during quarantine. I could tell you that much. And mm-hmm. if it, it's exhausting. Right now, I'm trying to debate whether I'm going to design another book, learn how to teach myself to do these nails. I'll go process orders. I'll just get to bed. And all three are very real possibilities today. <laughs> you know, so it's important to me. Um, it's important to me that people really respect and understand what other people are doing during quarantine. But but don't let this time pass you by. 
Right. Learn a new skill. You know, that's and then everybody's offering all these free opportunities to prove that, oh, I'm a better company. No, I'm a better company. Take all the benefits that these people are giving out. Take all of them. You know, there's mm-hmm. no excuse that you should not be manifesting or creating something magical during this time. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your current book. My current baby, um, I call it Color and Manifest. Mm-hmm. There she is. And this is designed. Oh, nice. Isn't that gorgeous? That's a nice cup. Where can they get that? Where can we get that from? Amazon.com because it's sold out on my okay. website and they're printing more right now. But um on Amazon, okay. I'm I was the number 29 bestseller last week when wow. it first came wow. out. Um, and so this book is a little bit more interactive than my last book. Um mm-hmm. For this, I really wanted to create something because people always say, what's your secret? And how did you do it? I was like, look, ain't no secret to this. You need to just wake up and do it every day. And so what I did was like this quote here says, stay the course. God won't waste any part of your experience. And so what I have done is I put quotes um, in different coloring sheets. So while you're reading, you're able to color and create while you're reading. Um, And then the next page, you can actually write out what you're believing God for. So what must I do consistently to see my dreams come to life? Oh, wow. um, I think a lot That's of times people think things are going to be given to them. Um, it's not. And, and a lot of, and many times you don't have what you want because you don't think you deserve it. Mm. And so this quote, it says, don't talk yourself out of what you truly, truly, truly deserve. And I think right. that's, that's what the pivot was for me. Um, mm. Years and years ago, um, I used to see everybody else. Oh, she got this and he got that. I was like, I don't think I'm, I don't really believe that I deserve this. Right. Oh, they're going to need it with the, with the, uh, the uh, clip there. I think people really don't believe that they deserve what they're praying for. And I think mm-hmm. with that, once you pivot and say, I deserve this, things will magnetically be drawn to you. Right. Magnetically. Right. right. Now you have a lot going on. You make masks, you do books, you work. What is your physical plan? How do you eat? Do you meditate? What's your minimum amount of sleep you get per night? How do you look at that? Because I know you're intentional with with what you do. And if your physical is not in shape, then Listen, you know it's going to be hard to maintain. Um, I had a really scary health scare um, last year. Well, really, it was past two years. And I didn't know I was like slowly degrading, uh, just like disintegrating before my own eyes. And mm-hmm. so, but I always drink it. My, my doctor said what saved you was drinking a gallon of water. I've drank a gallon of water every day for the past maybe 10 years. Mm-hmm. So I've always had, like right now I'm looking at my bottle of water in the kitchen, but I've always drank water. And so I'm a gallon of water a day. I try to walk at least three days a week. Um, um, some days I just shut everything off and just go to bed. I'm just like, look, I just can't do it. And that might be tonight because I'm just so drained from just like pouring out. But sometimes mm-hmm. you just say, I just don't have it today. And, and we're going to have to adjust. Um, meditation is key. Um, and the reason I wrote this book is because I write out my goals every day, at least 22 times. Wow. Um, so it may be the word, like I was, you know, trying to manifest love. So I was writing the word love over and over and over again every day. And then I finally met my boyfriend, you know, mm-hmm. um, I wrote the word for it every day for a year and a half, 22 times. And then I ended up winning it for it the next year. I wrote the word Spanx. Um, I wrote money. I wrote the word house. And so everything that I kind of consistently um, and persistently pursued, um, it showed up. It showed up. And so I think that's what's key is that people have got to consistently seek the things that they believe God for. And I think we can't be swayed by what we see. We can't be swayed by who we see and what we see. Um, It's really about keeping that real tunnel vision like, okay, 
I want to be debt free by 20, you know, by 2021. So, girl, let's go to Ross. Nope. I'm trying to get my debt down. Let's go out of town. Nope. No, my baby showers. I'm going to send you a $20 gift, but I can't spend $3,000 to come see you. You know, so it's really just saying my goals are more important than what I see right now. Right. Right. I want to talk about the art of the drop. Because when you drop, stuff sells out and it sells out pretty quickly. If you were advising a business who has built a sizable audience on social media, how would you walk them through dropping a product? Start with, we have an idea to, it sells out in a minute and a half. So for me, I created my own demand. Mm. I created the demand. Um, I am my own best walking billboard. So I wore my stuff before I sold it, maybe five or six months. People are like, well, where can I get this from? So I created the anticipation like, I'm going to drop soon. I'm coming out with something soon. Be ready. So dropping selfies in all my stuff, um, showing the book in the background. Like, Oh, what's that in the background? I was like, oh, girl, it's a book. I'll, I'll drop it later. So it's creating that curiosity around what you're creating, um, chronicling your process. Like at one when I was out in the world, I would like, show me at Home Depot, no makeup, hair on top of my head, you know, I want to pick up T-shirts, you know, mailing things out to the post office. Showing me barefoot outside, chasing after the post office, you know, ch chasing after UPS truck. So just showing your process and being very transparent with your story. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's that's the marketing part a lot of people miss out on because they want to be so Hollywood production, but people really identify with you. People are buying me. They, ain't, I mean, my masks are great, but it's a whole lot more that might be greater. But they're buying pieces of what I've created, and so by the time. I did drop it. I only dropped a limited edition. So I'm only dropping five, three to 400, 500 at the max. So if you don't get one in that, that rap, that, that group, then you're not going to get one because I might take a break and stop producing. So if you don't get one of these next two, you may not get a mask because I got to start pivoting back to these other projects. But I want to create something that if you see it, you know, you got it directly from MelissaAMitchell.com slash shop from me. And so that's how I'm able to create the demand. That's how I'm able to, to build up the anticipation um, is to really, really let people know that what you create um, can only come from you. And as a creator, I have, I have I've expressed that these aren't just my creations. It's a, it's a legacy thing for me. So I built my story to where people know that I am, I, I say that I'm a conduit of the ancestors because the ability to do all this stuff, I know does not come from me. So I'm doing this for my daddy that left too soon, my grandmama that's gone, my great, great so-and-sos that probably were creative that were afraid to step outside of the norm to create. Um, and then now we have something beautiful. So I got a whole lot of folk. But that's why I have these pictures behind me. They remind me of my ancestors because I like, I know this ain't about me. This is a whole lot of us behind me. And so I, I, I think about that all the time. And so when you're buying something from me, it's the Mitchell it's the Mitchell Opia Enterprise that you're um, investing in, not just Melissa Mitchell. All right. How does your faith affect your business? <clears throat> Listen, you got to have a lot of faith to do this because I go online and every day I see a new person making masks. I go online every day. It's another person with a coloring book. It's another person making head wraps. It's another really cool brown girl with, you know, with faux locks in their head with selfies online. And so... For me, I got to just have faith that I'm dope. I'm dope enough to make the money that I'm supposed to make. You know, um, I got to I have to believe that I have to keep the faith that my story is meant to touch other people. And it's not just about the money. It's about the impact. 
So my faith is all about making sure that my story is heard um, and just trusting my trusting my journey. I mean, it's so easy to look at what you don't have. I was like, but look at all the stuff I do have. Like, God has brought me so far from this much faith. So now that my faith is this big, nothing. <laughs> stuff is like literally like today. I stuff fell in my lap. I was like, I didn't even ask for this. You know, exceedingly above all I could ever ask a thing. That's my favorite scripture, Ephesians three twenty. Like exceeding anything I can ever ask for. Right. How do you consistently get media coverage? They find me. They find me. Um, I think once you create a buzz and, and, and people underestimate the use of hashtags. Um, like I have Melissa Mitchell.com. I have black girl art. Like people are always looking. So I'm constantly creating content. So I'm showing up on people's explore pages. Um, I have pictures everywhere. Um, I just create dope stuff that nobody has seen anywhere. They're like, where, where is that from? I want that one. I want this mask. Not that one. I want this one. You know, so you create something that people know that only came from you. And I have people that are like, Melissa, girl, I'm in Guatemala. Why I see a girl in the uh, beach with your wrap on? I was like, send me a picture. Sure enough, I could type in the girl's name and say, oh, she ordered it on June 16, 2019. I said, tell, tell her I said, hey. You know, so it's a really dope feeling to know that Somebody could look at their watch and it'd be by me. Somebody put on a right. robe and it'd be by me. Somebody's going to chemotherapy and while they're coming to grips with losing their hair and losing weight, they can wrap up in a kimono and a head wrap um, and still feel beautiful and whole. I think that one of the most impactful things that happened to me, um, so sad, young girl went to fam, your girl named Tiffany. Um, she went to fam. I, I found her. Um, you know, I met her, met up with her maybe a year or two ago, gave her a whole bunch of head wraps. And so, she subsequently passed away and on her obituary, she had on a head wrap. Wow. wow. And I was like, and I was, it just, it just made me, rendered me speechless because you just don't know how much of an impact you have with people and how yeah. much your spirit resonates in your work. And for somebody to even want to, to remember her beautiful and she was in a head wrap that I designed. So that was like, like really, really who are some of your favorite artists? I mean, you can do contemporary, you can do all time, you can do Lord, anybody. I'm terrible. Who inspires that. you or who inspired you? Um, shoot, I can't even think of their names right now. That's terrible. I mean, I guess I go Basquiat only because, only because he's used his artwork even beyond the grave. But I love that he was able to weave the story of the black struggle in his work. Um, and while I'm not really drawn to him artistically, I'm drawn to him as a person because it was so much darkness. I just always wondered where his head was at when he was doing things like, you know, he was really like hurting. And I was like, wow, you know, our art is so different, but it's so much alike because we're so strong in our opinions. Um, it's just really dope to see that people are finally catching on, but it means that his, his narrative and his memory and his name will live on. Like, for, like I walked into Target, they had Basquiat t-shirts. Like for ten dollars, I'm like, we still talking about Basquiat, you know? Right. So it's like, yeah. although he may not ever get to see it, we will feel him for probably another two hundred years. And I think right. for me, that's what legacy means. But I want to be the Basquiat of my time, and I want to be here to see it. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Um, what would you tell a new art collector, someone that knows nothing about art? And they have, say, their first home or first condo. 
what would you tell them as far as what kind of art to choose or how they should think about art? You know, we go back to when I talk about people buying a piece of me, you want to buy art that resonates a spirit that that speaks to you because you're going to have to see it every day. Um, I, I created a haven in here, um, but I created artwork that would remind me of places and spaces that I wasn't at mentally. So whatever art speaks to you at that time, you should buy that. Um, I know people go to galleries like, I just something about this piece. And so you'll stay in that moment when you first saw that artwork, you know, you first felt it. Um, and it may be a famous artist or it might be somebody that's a street artist, but you put a frame on that, put it in your house, it becomes a part of your memory. Um, mm-hmm. And it may be valuable one day and it may not, but it means something to you because it's in your house. So be careful about what you buy because you don't want to buy an artist that might be suicidal, that might be set, you know, all those different spirits that you may not want to translate in your home. Um, mm-hmm. Be mindful of who you buy and what you buy mm-hmm. because it will be in your house forever. Right, right. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's great advice. I saw that you met the legendary Dapper Dan. I did. Tell me about meeting Dapper Dan. Dapper Dan um, is a very, very, I mean, he's iconic in every sense of the word, but he's such an individual. I think that's the best way to describe him. Because many people are like, well, Dapper, why you didn't create your own this, create your own that? He said, I did what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You know, people were mad because he was still rocking with Gucci. He was like, you know, what bothered him about people was to think the, uh, the group think. You know, people didn't do any real, oh, there goes somebody, a new subscriber. You know, people subscribe to this belief that, you know, Gucci deliberately did some things that were racist. And he said, I took an opportunity to speak who actually did it. And it didn't come from that place. Um, He was very big on trusting your own story and doing it the way you wanted to do it. Um, And then in creating creating iconic moments and making your rivals seek you out. Um, And so once Gucci saw what he was doing, instead of reprimanding him, they were like, he's dope. Let's bring him on. And so what I love about Dapper is that he's so calm, he's so cool, he's so collected and so wise. Um, and he's willing to share his story with anybody. And I think we right. need to do that as creators. Um, it's to talk to people. I think so many people are like, oh, I'm not, you know, no, if it's not CNN, if it's not Oprah, I'm not going to give an interview. And it's like, bro, to share your story. You know, I, you could walk up in Harlem at any given day. He talks to a little boy in a book bag about following his dreams. You know, all the way up until you see Oprah pulling up in black Mercedes, you know, having an interview. He's giving her the same spiel. So he's the same consistently. And is such a such a wise man, um, brilliant beyond even comprehension. And I'm so glad that he's another example that if you just keep doing you, eventually you'll get. You know, he did this for 30, 40 years. Right. We can about that today and like in a more uh, stream, like a re- mainstream in the last yeah. five years. But he's been dressing celebrities for the past, what, 20, 30 years, 30 years, 40 years? Mm-hmm. Just saying Dapper, Dame, Dapper Dan's name like every day now. And so yeah. I just think it's so dope that he just stayed, he stayed true to his stuff. Like he was like, nope, I ain't going with this. I ain't gonna, I'm going to do this. And so doing this is what got him where he is today. And I think that's so admirable. Like I just was like the whole time. He's like, what's wrong? I said, like, I just, I'm just got me here. Just I don't, nothing, you know? Yeah. Right. Right. Hey, Tim, thank you for subscribing. Send us a uh, send us an email. We're going to get you one of uh, Melissa's pieces uh, on us. Thanks for um, thanks for subscribing. Let me see if yeah, I got Tim, Tim, Tim is the winner today. <laughs> <laughs> so, Melissa, how do you handle copycats? 
copycats, huh? Uh, let me uh, answer that very um, politically correct. I don't give them my energy, but I also monitor them closely because I think a lot of people, um, they think you don't see them. And I see you. Um, and so I don't, I don't allow it to take too much, but I also, I know that I'm, what I'm doing is right because now it's being replicated. And so I could take it two ways. I could be upset and be like, oh, I'm about to go confront her, da, 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 da. But I could also say that if I am if I am the icon that God showed me years ago, then I have to prepare myself for them to be very miniature versions of me throughout history. So I am, I'm creating the trend, right? I'm creating a lane that has not been seen. Um, so I have to be okay with like, oh, that looks similar to myself. It's like, go ahead, girl. So instead of becoming upset, um, allow them to do what they want to do. But if it gets to be too crazy, I'm like, listen, now, I'm not seeing you a cease and desist. It's going to be too much. And right. so, but on top of which, I think it's, I think it's almost, you know, they say that, you know, copying is a form of flattery. It is, but it's also a form of disrespect because it's saying mm-hmm. you don't trust God enough to give you your own voice. So let me copy Melissa's voice. And so mm-hmm. people don't know the price I've paid for my voice and my communication with God. And so, my prayer is that if you do have a spirit of copycat, that God sends you whatever it is that's that's a lot aligned for you, um, mm-hmm. instead of you probably trying to copy somebody else. I think that's important mm-hmm. to create your own voice um, that's significant to you. Because if I start creating tomorrow, you're gonna run out of content, friend. What you gonna do next? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, right. um, that's why it's important to be your own person because. That with God as my source, I will never run out of ideas, and I have not run out yet because I'm being very authentic to what I believe God has done for me. Right, right, that makes sense. I saw the post that you put up last night, uh, video uh, when you were dropping the mask last night, and I think your secret weapon is how well you use a camera. Um, what three suggestions would you give to a camera novice? someone that's building a brand that wants to uh, illuminate their brand much better via a phone or a camera? Um, a few things. Practice. Practice, practice, practice. Um, and have, and pra- So it's a few things. Practice. So I've been in front of the camera since I was like two or three. So I can't really, I can't give you those years, but I, I know my angles. I know my body. I know my face. You know, I know my angles ain't working. I'd be like, just get a little further away. Let's do this. Let's do that. So I practice what works for me. Um, and the tools, having the right tools. Order your ring light. You know, have more than one laptop. Like today, I had a second laptop in my hand as I came downstairs. I said, if this one don't work, I got another one. So you didn't have to wait very long. I was like, I'm on another one. Two minutes later, hey, welcome to, you know. So having the right tools really helps too. Um, I set up my ring light after I went running, came in the room, did that video and, and posted it, you know, because mm-hmm. I already have my studio set up to like, okay, I need to do product shots. I need a selfie. I got an interview today. I got one tomorrow. I got one the next day. So it's like having the right tools really, really helps me. And then also study really dope photos. Like, let me see how they did this photo. You can literally Google dope photo shoots on YouTube and get lost. Watch how these people respond to the camera. Watch how they're able to, to, to hold themselves, you know, up, you know, not using the word um so much. I, I still use mm-hmm. um a little bit, but it's just really, really practicing. Be in the mirror and be like, okay, million dollar mail, let's do it. Okay, okay, you know. So it's all those different things. So, you know, 
practicing, having the right tools and study. And that goes across the board for anything, really. Mm-hmm. That's being an artist. Practice, have the right tools, study. Million dollars, practice, have the right tools, study. And so mm-hmm. once you, and you know, we talked about this before offline, how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. So I approach photos and pictures and interviews with excellence because that's the way I do my artwork. That's the way I do business. That's the way mm-hmm. I handle my relationships. That's how I I manage my flowers. You know, you handle everything with care and intention and it will, it will be obvious mm-hmm. um, when things actually are shown to the world. Right. Makes sense. How has traveling influenced your art? Oh, you know how much I love to travel. I think seeing the world lets you know that we are more alike than we are different. And for me, when I first picked up the brush, I did not study anybody else because I wanted to make sure it was an authentic, pure voice. And so in 2017, it was a pivotal year. That's a crazy year. I went to South Africa with about 29 of my now closest friends. And I went to this village called the Indebele Village, a village of painting women, um, a village of painting women. And it literally looked like I had painted it. And wow. this village of women had been doing it for 200 years. Wow. So it was, I'll, I'll send you pictures after this. It was so scary. So they use bright colors um, and then they go in. I mean, it literally looked just like this. The whole village looked like that. Wow. And I was like, wait a minute. She's like, oh, welcome home. I was like, home? I was like, oh my God. So I just, it was such a out-of-body experience, but it just showed me that I know my ancestors are speaking through me. Like I, without a doubt, because I don't know where none of this stuff come from. But I think traveling just really confirms mm-hmm. that I'm exactly where I need to be. Um, and then somewhere in this world, there's at least one person that gets me um, that is like me. And so that was a really dope experience. So whether it's going to Costa Rica, to the Bahamas, where my family is from, you know, going to California, where I see a random street painting and it looks exactly like one of mine, the back street in Harlem. Mm-hmm. Um, art literally has kept the society together through the hardest times. Think about your favorite song, think about your favorite plays, your favorite movie. It's all artwork. It's all art. It's all great. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I know that I, I'm a champion or I have a high, it, back in the back in the old, old centuries ago, one of the highest ranking officials was an artist. The artisans had like a whole section so the wow. ocean artists, oh, she go, they go over there. Because think about it. If you're holding society together, we need to make sure you're good. Like, did they eat? Do they have what they need? Do they have paint? Do they have whatever? Yeah. So if I'm yeah. a king, I was like, let me get in good with this artist. So she made me look good on camera. I mean, on, on camera. Mm-hmm. Right. So now you think about half the people who probably study history don't even look like that. But the artist is the one that interpreted it for the person in power. So they'll be forever remember, remember as this person because of an artist. Right. That's and interesting. I never knew that the ancient societies held artists in such high regard. Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. Yes. What's one of the best investments you ever made? It, it can be money. It can be time. It can be energy. Goodness, so much. Um, best investment. Jesus. Let's just, I mean, I'm sitting in it, my house. Mm. Um, My house was, it was a journey to get here because I was living at home and Mm -hmm. I didn't want to, I didn't want to feel like I was abandoning my family by moving further away or not being close to my family. 
And so moving further out from where everybody lived really gave me time to isolate and really to reflect. And uh, my house has become a living, I have over 60, 70 pieces of artwork hanging up in my house that are all by me. Um, but being away from the city really meant, I literally, I mean, I'm not even an outside girl. I'm out here hands in dirt with earthworms every day now, you know, I am that girl now. And so, but it really, really taught me that if you, if you cultivate something and really put your hands into it and love on it, it will flourish. And it's just like a light that bounces off my house now. It's like, oh, the sun hit my house, wow. everybody else, you know, and then so, right. and anybody that comes here is like, child, I'm just have to stay tonight. I love it over here. I was like, you love it? You feel it? You know? Um, yeah, so that's dope. Right, right. What three books have greatly influenced your life? Oh, Lord. Off the top of my head, The Alchemist. I read that about five times. Mm -hmm. The Alchemist. Um, what is this book by Mike Murdoch? Mike Murdoch is a pastor, but he's also like a master manifester. He's a pastor. Um, I can't. It's like a couple of books, but him as an author as a whole. Um, really, 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 really dope. And then there's someone named Esther Hicks. She's also like a master manifesting coach. She has a couple of books too. I can't, I can't think of like the one book. Let me Google it. Um, Esther Hicks talks about really channeling. Um, hold on, I'm about to look it up now because I feel crazy. Um, what's her name? What is the book called? Yeah, Law of Attraction, duh. So really talking about. So she was, so she channels this person. Have you heard of Esther Hicks before? You have heard of her a little bit? But what I love about the, the teachings of the law of attraction, it really taught me that everything that I needed was already, already en route to me because I believed that it would be. So people know that I'm like a flower girl, right? And so I will go every week to go look for flowers. So this week I forgot to, but as I'm coming into my house, I'm getting scratched by flowers in the front of my house. And God was like, you have everything you need already in your possession. I was like, bruh, I got flowers. And so I have hundreds of roses in front of my house, like begging to be plucked. And so now I have them in bosses all over my house and they're not even dying. Right. right? And so it serves two, two purposes. Now it reminds me that what I needed was already in, in me. And also to beautify my home, I had to dig within, literally dig with deep within. And so the thing about Esther Hicks and anything she's written really, really forces you to be very um, introspective and make you say, what am I believing for? And what am I working towards? Like, what do I really believe is going to happen for me? And I think with her, she really encourages people to really dig deep. Um, and, then, and even with the alchemist, everything you need was already in you. Right. Everything you need was already in you. Um, you don't have to go very far for the answers that you seek mm. or the love that you need or the relationships that you need or the business deals like they are seeking you. So every morning say what I'm seeking is seeking me. That's one of the things I say every day. Yeah. What I'm seeking is seeking me. So when I meet my soulmate, when I have my this, when I do that, they were already in route to me because I was in route to them. Right. Right. What advice would you give to a smart, driven college student about to enter the real world? And what should they ignore? Um, it's two things, and it, it's two opposite things, but two two very relevant things. To be realistic, but also to be a dreamer. Mm -hmm. To be a realistic, to where 
don't be dismayed if you can't get a job. Don't be dismayed um, if you have to get in a career that you didn't plan to be in. I wanted to be in PR. I ended up working for the government, you know, but I ended up using my PR skills. So be flexible. But also don't be afraid to say, hey, while I'm working at Starbucks to make sure my bills are paid, I believe in God that a director is going to come in here and see me. And Tyler Perry may walk into that Starbucks because that's just how big my faith is. So I think a lot of times we get so bogged down with our reality that we're like, it ain't no way I could see beyond here. But when you move that, you're like, oh, hold on. It's something beyond that, you know? And so for me, I think that's when I turned the corner. Yeah, I was living at home at 30 something. Yeah, my dad passed away. Yeah, my grandmother passed away. It's like, okay, I'm my reality, I get it. Okay, I'm here, but I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to be like, and so I started building myself up. So I was realistic, but I was a dreamer. And I think that you have to have both of those. While it's a weird dichotomy, it's necessary to have both um, to keep your bills paid and also to assure that there's some legacy that's being built um, as you're climbing to where you want to be. Because you may not get your big break until you're 47, but that doesn't mean you stop working, right? You still got to be realistic, but you also have to have the, the ability to dream. All right. Didn't the guy that started Greg Goose, didn't he start at like 65 or something like that? That's what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. I've heard artists that started painting at 89 and they get a piece that sells a million dollars before they die. Like yeah. the stories that you hear are so like contrasting. It's like there's no magic pill formula. I mean, Tyler Perry was sleeping under somebody's desk 15 years ago. Now he's now Prince Harry is living in his mansion in California. <laughs> so it's right. like you just don't know yeah. how the story's gonna end. Like you just mm-hmm. don't know. That's just so dope about life. It's like it's like playing a really fun game of poker and you got the winning hand the whole time, but you thinking everybody around you got the card. He's like, bro, you got the cards. You're gonna right. be the one to win, you know. Um so that's the dope part about about life is that it's such a it's a great gamble to take because you might just win. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that makes sense. Now I know you say you've been really you know, successful and everything's been going good during quarantine and everybody's not like that. So some people are saying that they're overwhelmed or they can't focus. What do you do when you're overwhelmed or can't focus to kind of bring yourself back center? Um, It's tough because listen, it's so easy to get distracted. Um, It's so easy just to stop working. But I have to remember the moments where I did not have what I prayed for. Mm. Uh, When I was in my mother's house, when I was painting on the floor, um, I think about all the people that are counting on me to win. And I'm like, I need to get myself together. Like, it's it's too much riding on me not being great. But I also, I know that one day ain't going to make or break my career. Like, tonight, I'm probably going to bed after this. My back is still hurting from four days of fulfilling hundreds of mask orders. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to take a break. But don't stop. And I think a lot of people stop, you know, and they don't take a break, just a break. And I think taking a break is human. Like that's a human need. But stopping is disrespectful to God because you pray for overflow. Mm-hmm. And now you're saying it's too much. So God is like, so do you want to be rich or not? Mm-hmm. Do you want to be successful or not? Do you want to have the things you pray for or not? Like what's up? You know, so I think it's for me, um, it, it's a constant struggle with being grateful, being present. Um, and also being being mindful of how I feel. Mm-hmm. Right, makes sense. Um, 
What do you wish I would have asked you that I haven't? Um, you said you don't say um. This is not, that wasn't an um. That was like a thinking like, oh. Um, <laughs> maybe something about, I don't know, maybe something about HBCUs or, oh, how has my HBCU empowered me? No, I don't know. What do you think? How has my network been uh, been pivotal to like my career? Okay, I got a qu- I got a question. That, that was a good a good cue there. Is the lighting good? Or is it too dark? Lighting is great. You have to do a tutorial and put a YouTube video up there. Oh, the I should, and I'm gonna charge out for it. <laughs> you should, you should. You should. Okay. How do you maintain a network? Give to that network, but still in a classy, good way, take from that network when you need it. How do you balance that? Because I see people, a lot of people in networks either are always taking or always giving. And coming up with that balance is a tough thing. How do you, how have you done it? And how would you suggest other people do it? Well, I very rarely call on my entire network um, from sorority, from my smaller groups, from like my my work family. Like you just think about what would have the most impact. So like when I ran for the Spanx opportunity, um, when I when I ran for the Spanx opportunity, I needed the whole university. I needed everybody. So I employed my sister, who's my publicist now, who also is a FAMU graduate. I said, we need to blanket this whole, I need everybody. So we literally broke the voting system for Spanx, right? But when it comes to smaller things, you don't want to, you don't want to, I hate to say this, you don't want to slut out your network, like overuse it. Like, oh, let me ask this. Let me ask. Like, you don't want to run out of favors where people know that if you're calling, you need something. People are like, oh, here, here come Todd. What you need, bro? You know, every time they see your name, like, she always wants some. Hey, girl. You know, you don't want to be the person where people roll their eyes. You genuinely give back. Like, I give back to people all the time and I don't ever talk about it. Right. right. Like I'm paying for stuff on the side all the time. Like, oh, you need money for your, your dorm? Okay, you you trying to pledge? Okay, call me. I, I got you. Like I'm writing letters. I'm a very I'm a secret. My my ultimate goal is become a secret benefactor uh, mm. for entrepreneurs and college students. You know, that's my ultimate ultimate goal. So for me, I'm never loud about what I do. So when I call people, like, oh, Melissa, need help? What she need? Because you organically mm. build that in, and I don't look for accolades i don't look for oh and melissa gave ten thousand dollars to the class of two thousand like you ain't gotta put my name on nothing like just i did it from my heart and so i think a lot of people look for so much affirmation um and affiliation that it makes your support look like it's not genuine right um and so you know i pay my little dues i do what i need to do you know i i do what i can when and i don't overcommit i don't say if you do this, I'll speak to your kids every third Tuesday until 2035. You know, I'll come right. by and say what's up to your kids when I can. That's all I can promise. <laughs> and you know, right. and, and then the pandemic hits, you know. So it's like, yeah. oh, but you said you. I was like, well, I can't. So now, but you promised these kids this. So now you're stretched to to make this, you know, make this happen. So it's really about staying within what you can do, um, mm-hmm. and not overdoing it. I think a lot of people just overdo and overcommit. And when it's time to show up, you're, you're so stretched so thin, you look like you're not reliable. You just can't do it. Right, right. What's your website, Melissa? MelissaAMitchell.com. MelissaAMitchell.com. Yes, don't forget the A. Melissa People ordering stuff right now. 
Five masks. Order it right now. <laughs> That's a blessing, isn't it? What does uh what does a break look like for you? Like what's your definition of taking a break? Do you like taking breaks? Do you like to travel international? Do you like to do nothing? Do you like to garden? What what is a break? You named my whole life. You named mm-hmm. my whole life. Um, mm-hmm. I like to shop. Mm-hmm. I love Ross. I love TJ Maxx. I love Marshalls. I like to bargain hunt. I love to cook. Mm-hmm. Um, I love TV. And my sister uh, mentioned something the other day, which was crazy. It talks about people who like watching nostalgic TV shows. It mm-hmm. reminds them. It reminds them of who they once were. Right. And it's funny because I watched Designing Women, Golden Girls, Girlfriends, mm-hmm. Martin different world because that time in my life was so rich with like wonder like oh i can't wait till i get grown or when i get old i'm gonna be a yellow bmw or i'm gonna be a designer like julia sugar vapor you know all these different things and so just seeing who i once was um really reminds me who i want to be so i love tv nostalgic tv shows i love to decorate obviously i love to paint but i like to create like i like to ideate with like minds i like to talk to other people who have um outlandish ideas. We're like, oh, you know, we should come out with a bikini tops with HBCUs. That'd be dope. You know, just mm-hmm. talking to other people like that. And so traveling to me is where I get my best inspiration because I get to see how people really live. And the further you go, the more you see people are living with far less right. than what we have. Because um, right. I was one of those people that went to South Africa with two suitcases and three book bags. Mm-hmm. And we went there and it's people that's getting off planes with just a book. I was like, well, how many? She's like, you don't need all of that here. I was like, oh, you don't? Y'all not getting dressed up? She's like, no. You get you a pair of underwear and a shirt and live. And I was like, why? So I created that oasis in my backyard because it just reminded me that you don't need a lot to unplug mm-hmm. and to really connect with God. And so so my break looks like getting some good to eat, like I'm about to eat, um, watch me something on TV, design a book while I'm in the bed and doing my nails and start all over again tomorrow. Right. Right. That makes sense. Where can people find you online? Most people can find me being very talkative on my IG on ABL Creations. And it's uh, at A-B-E-I-L-L-E Creations. And of course, my website, again, is MelissaAMitchell.com slash shop. If you want a mask, this one is sold out again, but there's some other cute stuff on there. Probably about 20 left. So go there and get that. Right. You see it. Say that again. Renita has a question. What's one thing you believe more people misjudge about you as a creative person? <sighs> one thing people misjudge. Um, let me think. I think people, I think people always think that creative people always have free time, that they can just take suggestions from people. Mm. Have a lot of people like, oh girl, you should do this, you should do that. And one thing about me, I not only am I creative, I'm a businesswoman. So anything mm-hmm. you suggest to me, I probably have already thought about it 98% of the time. And so I think a lot of people assume that I'm like this very, you know, colorful, airy person. But I'm very, very structured. Like wake up at six o'clock, have my gallon, half a gallon need to be done by 12, three o'clock. I, if I'm not going for a walk, I'm doing my sit ups. Like I'm very structured. But a lot of people think creative people are just walking around like barefoot, you know, and I am usually barefoot, but they just assume that you're like this, like a hippie or something. Right. But I am very like, 
I have at least right now 10 projects in queue that have to get done by Friday right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm very, so not only am I a master manifester, I'm Mm -hmm. also a master multitasker. Mm -hmm. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. Any other questions? That was a good question, Renita. We have, um, (laughs) we have nails bills over here. Um, Fam fam you. Hey, 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 fam you. But really appreciate you taking the time, Melissa. You're a really good communicator. You know how to tell stories. And I think storytelling is the key. Uh, Good artist, very vibrant. Like I've told you before, I think you have one of the best looking brands and one of the most um, noticeable brands. And um, I think you're going to do a lot, a lot more great things than you've already done. And uh, just want to thank you for taking the time. You may have to become a regular guest on here because, you know, you answer things with such grace and such ease and um, you really add a lot of value to our audience. So I want to thank you for that. Any last words you want to say about uh, what you have going on? Any hard sales? Here we go. Nails Bills has another one here. We have how did you gather your support to build your brand? I told my story. I was very transparent. Um, I literally started my brand online. I, um, you may, I don't know if you heard earlier, but I literally started painting and started chronicling it on Instagram saying, Hey, LOL, this is what I'm doing. And so I think being very authentic and transparent along the way goes, it goes a long way. People begin to be a part of your story. I had a young lady the other day say, wow, I've literally been watching you for five years and you've been in the mud like the whole time. Like you see me me, my raps have changed. My tag. You, if somebody started buying a rap from the very first beginning, I had a big old tag. They said ABL. Now the tag is this big. Um, right. I don't even put my tags on stuff. Some stuff because that's how recognizable my stuff is. I don't even need to put a label on it. People are like, oh, that's ABL. I, it's no question. It was. Right. It looks like it. You will see people like fighting. They're like, no, I know that's Melissa's stuff. I know it is. And they'll call me. Like, yeah, it is. Facetime me. You know. Right. So I created a brand that was recognizable. Um, and my friends and my customers are my biggest advocates. Like, I don't even have to say anything. They're like, oh, you know, you're on VH1 right now. I was like, girl, where? I don't even know half the time I'm in magazines until somebody calls me. Wow. That's, amazing. that's just how crazy it's become, you know? Mm-hmm. So you just create something that people can really fall in love with and identify with, and they'll be your biggest salesperson for you. Right. Right. That makes sense. <laughs> you're very inspiring, Melissa. Thank you for taking the time. Any last words? Um, I have a question for you. Sure. So how do you want HBCU grad to continue to make an impact in the HBCU world? And what do you want your legacy to be? Um, I want HBCU grad to be known as the most authentic HBCU brand. I want it to inspire people, but I want it to inspire through realness, authenticity, consistency. Uh, glass half full type of approach, really positive. As you see, we don't put a lot of things on death or we haven't put anything about the coronavirus. We try to keep things on the, you know, from a, a positive perspective. Uh, legacy wise, I think that it can be one of the biggest brands that started from just a single Instagram account. And I think it can change the world by giving people different perspectives and bringing a community together. And we know that community has pretty much changed the world. 
you know, Egypt was overthrown because of a community. We have black people. We were thriving when we operated as a community. Atlanta has taken off as a city because of the black community. So I want it to be one of those brands that uh, stands the test of time because we'll always be authentic. I may not be at the helm one day, but, uh, you know, maybe my son will. So thank you for that question. That's a good thing. That was a good question because it made me kind of think a little bit long term legacy. See, see, see. Right. Hey, Alondra. Dr. Alondra. Hey, Dr. Alondra. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's it. Oh, I also want to ask you one last question. How has your HBCU experience, um, how has it shaped your adult experience? Um, The community again. Yeah. What you learn is almost obsolete. Right. Because, you know, that's that's how, you know, things change. You know, you learn something in school and four years later, it doesn't, you know, it uh, really doesn't apply to whatever you're doing. Um, 10, 12 years ago, we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have uh, Instagram. We didn't have Facebook. Well, Facebook was around around 2004, 2005. But mostly everything, Netflix wasn't around. So mostly everything we do nowadays is pretty recent. Mm-hmm. So the things that you learn may not be applicable today's to today's time, but the people that you meet will always be applicable in your life. So the HBCU experience just, you know, set me up for life. It's uh, some of the best people I've met, some of the most driven people, and it's allowed me to um, kind of be the caretaker of this community. Truly. Well, that's Thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you, Melissa. You're welcome back anytime. I wish you the best. We'll talk soon. All right. Thank you for everything. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for watching. This was uh, episode four of the HBCU Live. Um, we'll be doing this consistently. Make sure you turn your notifications on. Text HBCU to 91096 to join our text community. And uh, if you ever need anything, feel free to reach out via email. Bye-bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the HBCU audio experience. We really, 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 really appreciate your attention. Uh, in the last couple of months, we've started to sell apparel and uh, we've been getting some really good feedback on it. We have the box logo collection out now. We have black hoodies, black tees, black hats, white tees, white hats, red shirts, and gray hoodies. Uh, please check us out. Let us know what you think. And if you put in code HBCU audio experience, we're going to give you half off. Go there right now. HBCUgraduates.com slash shop. Put in HBCU audio experience and you get 50% off. All right. Talk to you soon and catch on the next episode.